Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Event Industry News podcast. This podcast is kindly sponsored by N200 GES, our smart event solution partner. For more information on N200 and its smart event solutions, visit n200.com. Uh, a very good morning, afternoon, or evening to all of our viewers who have connected to the live stream of today's podcast via eventindustrynews.com. Tonight's live stream will allow you to interact in real time with our guests, giving you the power to put questions directly to them uh, and get your opinions heard. You can also submit questions uh, via Twitter. Uh, just go to Event News Blog. At Event News Blog is the Twitter handle to use for any questions or comment on tonight's podcast. Keep your eye on eventindustrynews.com or download the brand new Event Industry News app, which will keep you notified of all the latest content. So, a very good evening to everybody. Um, and in tonight's episode, we're going to be looking at Androids, an immersive cinematic musical journey that utilizes 3D animated film synced to an electronic dance music soundtrack, which is performed live by emerging artist Sartori. The show has already received critical acclaim and will be available for private events very soon. To tell us more about it is the artist herself, Helen Sartori. Helen, welcome along to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. No problem at all. Um, this is fascinating. I've done uh, a little bit of digging on this uh, today before uh, we, we came on to, um, to broadcast tonight's podcast. I've had a look at your social media feeds. I've looked at some of the stuff that you were doing out at South by Southwest on the website. Um, it's a fascinating concept that is very, very difficult to actually understand in just a couple of paragraphs. So why don't we start by telling us about how the concept for Androids came about, first of all, and we can start to look at exactly what it is. Sure, yes. No, that's a problem I've had forever, which is how do you explain it to someone who hasn't seen it and experienced it and done it? Um, Androids is essentially a story that you dance to. That's the fundamental concept. It's um, a live music event, it's a dance music event, but um, there's an inbuilt narrative, there's characters, there's um, all the types of things that you would, you would come across from you know, a theatre or a film experience. Um, alongside live music. So that's kind of the basis of it. It's, it's fusing those two um, entertainment experiences into one double whammy. So, so to paint a picture for people, and I'm sure anybody that's listening or watching this podcast, after they've watched it, they're going to hop straight over to your website or to one of the social media feeds and start maybe getting a picture for themselves of what it looks like. But let's try and paint that picture for them for the moment. How does it look if you come to the Androids experience? So the Androids story itself is a sci-fi based story. It's based on you know all of my favorite sci-fi cliches and movies all kind of smushed together into one. Um, it's the story of a robot who goes on a little journey of self-discovery um, um, and learns a little about herself. So um, as an audience member, you will, from the visual side, there's um, 3D projection of an, an, an CGI animated um, story, which is um, you know, a musical story. And then the live music itself is performed by don't want to give any spoilers away, but me, I mean, I'm not like this, I'm usually dressed in something that involves a helmet like this, um, um, on a giant LED audiovisual console, which I use to create the music live. Um, so part of the, the experience is, you know, cinematic and narrative, and some of the music experiences more kind of a traditional rave atmosphere, and kind of take the audience through a journey through that. 
Let's, let's take a step back then and, and hopefully continue to build this picture. What's your background as a, as a musician and as an artist? Sure. I um, originally was a classical musician, um, you know, from a very young age. I think I, I was um, launched onto the piano at about three, uh, violin at five. And at the age of, I think, 10 or 11, I declared that I was going to be a film score composer, and that was what I was going to be. And I just went off to university to study um, music. Unfortunately, didn't come out with all of the necessary skills I felt I needed to um, to go into film music directly because there's a lot of modern modern techniques and I went to study old fashioned university um, and took a detour um, eventually ending up in electronic music and I really fell in love with live music especially live electronic music and the new kind of technologies people are using to you know, get away from the decks and really do that live mm -hmm. um, so I decided that I wanted to take those two worlds and kind of put them together and use everything I'd learned from my classical training, my, my training in the short time I did spend in film music and writing music for theatre and apply that to electronic dance music and specifically live dance music. So that's where we ended up with what I call cinematronica, um, the, this kind of fusion style of um, you know, traditional house music, electronica, and um, some of the more narrative-based storytelling tools you can use in film music. So when you took the plunge and you decided that this was the route that you wanted to go down, how big a gap was that? When did you first come up with the concept for this particular show, for the Androids experience? And how long did it take then from having that first sort of light bulb moment to actually realizing some of the, the basic concepts behind it? Um, I think I finally, I mean, I knew that I wanted to do something, um, like I said, it, it kind of fused those two worlds for a long time. And it wasn't until about almost a year and a half, two years ago, where I finally came up with a story that I felt and it would do it justice. And you know, I went down this kind of sci-fi robot self-discovery angle. Um, I was probably pretty naive starting out, thinking, you know, it'll be simple. I'll just, you know, make an hour of CGI and I'll make an hour of music and I'll build a suit and I'll build an instrument and off we go. Um, it actually turns out it's a lot more complicated than that. Um, it takes a lot more time and a lot more talent. Um, so, you know, the first six months or so was just getting the narrative and the music together before I partnered up with a very talented motion graphics designer called Dan Weiss, um, who then we started working on the whole aesthetic for the world and, you know, started working on the, the, the visual side of it. Um, and then once we had those two pieces, um, I was very adamant from the beginning that I wanted it to be a live, a live music experience. So I didn't want to be DJing on decks. I wanted to have an instrument that I could play this stuff live on. Um, and that's when I partnered up with um, a guy called Ben Williams, who specialised in, in building these custom live performance systems. And we came up with this giant LED crystal-shaped contraption that I can wave my hands at and beat with drumsticks and do all types of things um, to create the all of the live um, elements. Um, so that whole, you know, from concept to where, you know, when we finally launched in February was probably a good 18 months, and that was mm -hmm. a very accelerated 18 months. I think a lot of people um, didn't think we were going to make it. And did you have a plan to launch at, Was it? I think it was February with the, with the first shows, is that right? Yeah, so we launched at Vault Festival in London, um, which is a great, great place um, for um, new formats, new um, types of 
you know, I've experience, especially anything immersive, it goes down really well. Um, it's a little bit like London's answer to the Edinburgh Fringe. So it's a bit, anything goes. You get a very open-minded crowd, which is great, especially you know, the first few shows of any kind, anything that's technically this difficult to kind of sync together. Um, you know, we, we ran into a few, uh, a few issues, but, you know, by the time we got to the end of the run, everything was working very slick. So it was a great place to, um, to, to premiere it for the first time in a really, really good set of audiences. Was it difficult on a, on a technical note to find a venue that was compatible with the elements that you need for the show? So the screen and the actual stage size and being able to set it as you need it to set it? In actual fact, um, we probably did it the hard way because we started from scratch. We, um, Vault Festival was set in Waterloo tunnels, um, so we pretty much just had one giant cave. Um, and we brought in a 20-foot screen, a sound system, um, you know, we, we, uh, we did all our lighting from scratch as well. We were very talented lighting designer, Tom Campbell. Um, in retrospect, I probably would have preferred somewhere a little bit less damp because it didn't agree too much to some of our equipment. So that's one lesson we did learn. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's the type of thing that it's designed for, for an immersive, um, site-specific experience. So it's important to be able to build it and take it down in lots of different environments. Do, do, does the audience need to um, wear anything in terms of 3D glasses, in terms of VR headsets in order to interact with it, or is it designed so that the audience can just be as they are and still experience what you'd like them to? Sure, in the current version, yes, it's um, all projected onto 2D screens. Um, we have a format which is multi-screen, which you know has more of a wraparound effect. Um, and eventually, um, when it's when the conversations we're having right now, because of the way we built the visuals um, in the first place, um, they are designed to eventually be turned into a 360 dome kind of um, experience. So obviously, those venues are a little bit more difficult to come by. Um, but we're talking to a few people at the moment about um, potentially putting that on, which should be a really, really exciting, I think, way to experience it. Um, one question that did pop into my uh, head whilst looking at it earlier and, and trying to familiarise myself with the concept of it, we've spoken a lot on this podcast and in related subjects to do with Event Tech Talks and Event Tech Live uh, about virtual and augmented reality. Um, and something that we talked about on the podcast last year was the ability to maybe go to a live concert without actually being there through the use of a, a VR headset or something like that. This strikes me as something that would be brilliantly compatible with that emerging area of technology and live experience that somebody could actually wear a VR headset and be part of the Andros show without being in the, in the actual venue. Exactly. That's something we're really excited um, to start work on. And like you said, I was recently out in South by Southwest and we were talking to a lot of people about um, that concept. Because for me, VR is super exciting and I've, I've tried all the headsets, and, and, but it can be a little bit of an isolating experience. So where I'm really interested in VR and where it can go is how you can make it more social and less isolated. Mm -hmm. And there's a few companies out there that are really, really working on that angle. Um, one of the companies I met up called The Wave VR, um, which is all about using music as a social tool in VR. Um, and one of the ideas that we're working on at the moment is essentially to have a live event, whether that's you know in our standard format or in the dome format, and all of those kind of people on site, and also have uh, a remote audience that can you know uh, remote into a CGI environment 
um, and see the show from two different sides and eventually find a way for those two groups of people to interact with each other during the show. Um, because one of the things I've been working on a lot um, with my team is how to make the whole experience more interactive for and more immersive for the uh, audience. And what, what other ideas have you had on, on that sort of line? Are there crazy ideas that you've come up with that actually some of your team and the guys that are supporting you have actually been able to say, well, actually, we, we think we might be able to do that? Yeah, that, that tends to be how it goes. I come up with a crazy idea and either I'm told that's potentially possible or that's definitely not possible um, some, somewhere along the, that spectrum and they, they get to work on it. One of the really cool things we worked on at South by Southwest um, I was uh, creating a residence at Hackathon. I don't know if you've ever been part of a Hackathon before, but it's a crazy, crazy event. Essentially, you get given a team of developers and coders and very nerdy people and uh, 24 hours, and you give them an idea, and um, they work it overnight, and by the end of that 24 hours or 48 hours, they have usually a working prototype. So the idea we had for that was essentially um, you know, everybody's seen these wearable kind of LED bracelets, you know, Coldplay and... Sure, uh, yeah. And I said, well, well, we said, could can we not do that with sound? So essentially what we built was a tool whereby I can play my keyboards or any of my instruments on stage and I can broadcast that directly to all the phones in the audience. So I can, instead of having, you know, your standard speaker sound sources, you'd have, you know, a thousand tiny little sound sources and be able to create some really cool 3D audio effects by using, you know, geospatial technology plus sound plus, you know, layering and things like that to create, you know, a really different audio experience. So that's one of the things that um, we're still refining at the moment, hoping to in introduce in some of the live shows soon. And then in terms of getting in, in, uh, information in the other direction, one of the things I'd really like to introduce is a kind of choose-your-own-adventure angle. So um, we'd crowdsource a decision from the audience at some point during the show which would dictate a certain action or pick an ending or and eventually you know I'd like to have a lot of different combinations of permutations of the show um, which could occur on any given night. You're, um, you're listening to the Event Industry News podcast with uh, N200GES and this evening um, we're talking to Helen Sartori about Androids which is this fantastic immersive live music cinematic um, experience that's been created by Helen and her team. And what was the phrase you used to, to, to describe it again, Helen? Just remind us of that. It was um, not cinematic. Cinematronica. Cinematronica. Oh. Fantastic. Thank you, yeah. Cinematic. I mean, I should trademark that, shouldn't I? <laughs> Absolutely. Start using it often so that it can be traced back to you because buzzwords like that tend to be picked up very, very quickly in these types of industries. So I definitely get that one uh, copyrighted as soon as possible. Um, we've been talking about the use of, of VR and AR and interactive technologies, and it sounds like you're, you're very much somebody who is... Um, who's interested in that whole subject of interactivity. Um, that said, does, does the show itself, if you are there as a live audience member, does it work best in a relatively intimate setting or do you envisage that this is something that could work on a grand scale? Um, I've had various feedback from you know people. Quite often people will come back and say, I want to see it again because I felt like I concentrated too much on the film or the visuals and not enough on what 
you the performer we were doing or, or the music or the other way around. I spent the whole time looking at your crazy machine and I didn't take in the story. So um, I think people experience it in a lot of different ways. We've done it to small audiences. We've done it to medium audiences. I haven't yet done it to a you know giant multi-thousand um, kind of head audience. I'd, I'd love to. Hopefully it's in the mm-hmm. future. Um, it's a very um, big, intense, loud you know, all-encompassing experience. So, I, And it was originally designed for kind of big festival stages. So in my head, it should, the bigger it gets, the better it should work. Um, but that's yet to be proven. <laughs> um, when you go out to somewhere like um, South by Southwest, which has got, you know, event organizers from all over the world, and I suppose tying it in uh, with our subject matter and our day-to-day subject matter at event industry news, looking at how things translate and, and can be adapted and deployed within the event industry. Um, have you had any contact with event organizers who are not necessarily live music event organizers, but who think that the concept of this would work brilliantly for their for their event? Because there are some fantastic private events that take place around the globe that are looking for new and innovative and groundbreaking ways to capture the imagination of their attendees. Um, have you had any contact with those type of people? Yeah, definitely. Um, and especially because of the way, I mean, if, if, you, know, if you don't know how South by works, um, it's, it's two kind of event, two conferences at one. It's a week of tech industry conference and a week of music in industry festival kind of stuff. So we definitely kind of sit in the middle of that, but the majority of um, the presentations, the panels, and the activities and the shows I was doing was, was in Tech Week. So the really interesting thing about that was to get a positive reaction from a non-music industry world, from the tech world. And yeah, it did, it did already, it has already led to um, uh, a couple of private shows. One, I just got back from LA, where we opened up um, the new 20,000 square foot facility um, upload VR um, have opened up in Marina del Rey. Um, right. And that was a really great event because, you know, these are people that are used to seeing crazy, crazy visuals and they can, they can see what the potential is for the show in terms of putting it in the 360 or creating a virtual remote version. Um, so that's been really great. Um, having said that, I do think, you know, it probably fits quite well with, with most corporate private events. Um, it's a bit of a spectacle. It's a lot of fun. You don't need to, you know, necessarily have any background knowledge. You just kind of mm. turn up and dance. <laughs> and, um, so yeah, we are definitely hoping to pick up a few more of those types of events because they're a lot of fun. Um, and and then again, it also fits in with a lot of the audiovisual festivals and this, you know, art installation gallery type stuff because it's got this slightly performative side to it beyond just straight music. Um, has the the technology side playing such an important role in the event and the concept itself, has it forced you to develop a, a quicker and a better and a deeper understanding of all of the other variables that go hand in hand with trying to deliver this type of show? And I suppose to put that question into context, when you were talking about this possibility of using mobile phones in the room to you know, with this app that you developed at the hackathon um, of transmitting audio signals and, and using that actually to deliver sound within the room, presumably that's got to rely on some sort of connectivity, either some sort of Wi-Fi network or a good cellular signal for that to actually be delivered. Um, so coming up with the idea, I suppose, is just one part of it, but then there are so many different factors that you then have to understand to deliver that. 
Usually it's coming up with the idea and thinking it sounds very simple and then being very confused for a couple of hours whilst a group of people in a room tell you why it's so difficult to build. And then by the end of the process, I have a semblance of understanding of how it works. With Crowdplay, the, the, the mobile phone audio app, for example, um, one of the hackathon sponsors out there was a company called PubNub. They have those good broadcasting um, capability which can operate even on LTE, even on 3G. So we're not restricted by having to have everyone on a private network or having to have everyone got you know four right. bars on the phone. Um, stuff yeah. like that is really, really important because it gets things past concept into actual real life testing. Um, so yeah, it, it, um, I had a bit of a background in tech. I used to live in San Francisco as a technology finance person. Um, so I'd had a bit of a peek into that side of the world. That's what got me kind of super interested in trying to use it for my musical projects, um, but I'm by no means a developer, and I'm just as confused as the rest of us when, when most of those conversations start happening. <laughs> as, as, as going back to what you mentioned earlier on in today's show, which was that you came from quite a traditional music background, a classical background, um, I'm curious to know, I suppose, two things. First of all, do you still have contact with with people that you met while studying who are from that classical background who think that you've you're some crazy woman who's gone off on a on some tangent? Um, oh yeah, total nervous breakdown. <laughs> <laughs> and they think that you can have come back to reality. But the other thing, more pertinent question is. Um, do you think that live music in general, whether that be electronic artists or, you know, guitar-based bands, need to better embrace technology, I suppose, it, to stay relevant to the next generation? Because I have two young children, I have two boys who are very keen on music themselves, but who have grown up in a generation of iPads and apps and constant connectivity to Wi-Fi, and they're understanding of going to an event is going to an event and always having a phone or something in your hand to either video it or to tweet about it or to snapchat about it um do you think there needs to be a better embracing of that sort of technology in general in the music industry from how you've seen it i don't know i you know there's nothing wrong with doing things the old-fashioned way you know i'm you know a big advocate of that and i still you know, go to classical music concerts and I still play in an orchestra. Um, but I think there's room for both. Um, and I think there's a lot of opportunities um, out there for musicians or event specialists or anybody in the creative arts if they want to embrace that side of things. Um, but I think it's just about being creative with it. You know, there are, there are ways to deploy tech in a very, you know, run-of-the-mill way and there are ways to do it that really do service the art and what you're trying to achieve so um, I think however much you want to engage with tech is you know up to the performer up to the creative but if you are going to do it you know try and do it in an original way try and do it in a way that you know people haven't experienced before because that's what kind of you know where the novelty comes from. What strikes me as slightly unusual as well is that um, as, an, as a musical artist as a, uh, your show and your music can only really be accessed via this live experience, can't it? You can't record this and download it as an album in the traditional sense because the whole concept is that you are there with the visuals and the music at the same time. Yeah, I mean, if you know people come to the show and like the music and want to listen to it later on, like I think that's that's something that um, is always available to them. I think it, for me, the way I wrote it was 
with the story in mind, with the visuals in mind. Just like you know, some people sit and listen to film scores once they've seen a film because it you know brings back memories and it means something to them. Um, so having said that, there are, there are a few tracks, a uh, few scenes in the in the show, I should say, that were more you know traditional structures that you know you might hear on the radio. But for the large majority of it, it's very much married to what's happening in the live environment. Um, so it is a slightly different approach in that sense. Yeah. And and going back to some of the actual elements that make up the show, people who go and look at photos or look at some of the video that's available of androids will see yourself performing, but they won't see you as we're seeing you now on the podcast. They will see you in this amazing, uh, and I'm sure you won't mind me sort of making the comparisons for people who haven't seen you yet, Daft Punk style helmet that people may be familiar with. You know, it's, it's shiny, yeah. there are LEDs in there. You know, it's very much a sort of a robotic image that you're presenting, isn't there? And the, the visuals within the helmet make up part of the show as a, as a massive element of it. Yeah, I mean, partly out of shyness, I'm, you know, it's a lot easier to get up on stage and perform if you're, you're not looking people directly in the eye. So um, I know I'm not the only person that's gone down the helmet route just because of that, <laughs> that aspect. But also, I did think it would be a bit weird if I turned up and did it in my pajamas. I mean, I wanted to look like something that belonged to the world. I'm not necessarily playing the role of the character in the, in the film, but I definitely need to look like um, something that belongs there um, as I'm you know, telling the story. Um, so that's where, yeah, this little baby comes in. She's, uh, she usually likes that, but um, today she's asleep. And, uh, and who was responsible for, for designing that element of the show, the actual the costume itself? So this helmet and the whole system behind it um, was developed by a very talented man called Mike Michelena, who's based in Spain. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, I, he actually um, got a bit of web notoriety from um, painstakingly recreating one of the dark bike helmets. And, I don't know if you've ever tried to have an LED helmet built, but they, there's not that many people in the world that can do them. So when I saw this, I immediately pounced and said, how would you feel about doing a custom design with me based on this character that I've created? Um, and this, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty impressive machine in terms of what it can do. Um, and some of the, the future generations of the tech in, sorry, the tech in this um, that are going to make it more autonomous in terms of the animations it can do and the things it can do. Um, the, the costume itself, um, which I usually have to diet to get back into, um, <laughs> it, uh, was designed by uh, a French designer called Emily Lager and built by um, a girl called Emily Spreadbrook. And that is essentially um, my little fan homage to Tron, because I, I love Tron. Um, and uh, it's basically, you know, covered in LEDs and EL wire, and it does all types of exciting things. Um, to, yeah. Um, I had a question come in um, via the uh, via the live uh, feed, uh, and the question is: Would there be a way that a, a corporate client, for example, could have a custom theme done? How difficult or easy, depending on. Um, how you want to answer it? Would it be actually to to create bespoke versions of this for some? You know, it's feasible that some of the big tech tech companies could jump on this and and want that the concept of the Androids show delivered, but actually with visual content that's relevant to them. Is that something that that you would consider doing in the future? 
Yeah, I mean, visuals are the some of the longest and most expensive things to build. Um, so we, you know, we spent a long time building the initial story. But having said that, it's fairly modular. So um, it breaks down roughly into two halves. Each half is five or six tracks each, and there's a different environment, a different look to each one. I think we cycle through about six different visual environments as we go through the, the story. Um, so yeah, it's, it's fairly easy to swap in and out if there's something customized that um, a client wanted to create and slot in. Um, mm -hmm. The nice thing about electronic music, um, even when you're doing it live, is it pretty much keeps to a strict time code. Um, yeah. So we can very easily predict you know, what, what's happening with the visuals. At the moment we haven't introduced live DJing, mostly because I already have quite a lot to do on stage. Um, it's <laughs> something we can do in the future um, to make some of that a little bit more improvisational. Um, but yeah, it, it was designed to be fairly modular in terms of what we can swap in and out for different um, versions, making it shorter or longer or you know, whatever people want to do with it. Just, just touching briefly on the, um, the, the amount of stuff that you do have to to concentrate on and focus on on stage. Um, how long were the actual sort of production rehearsals and how intense were those before you were able to actually, you know, deliver the show to an audience? Well, that's a slightly sore subject <laughs> um, because when I decided I wanted to design and build my own instrument, um, I was thinking in my mind that I'd get, you know, a month or two to rehearse. As it happens um, with you know, inevitable delays in any kind of build process, anything when you're getting outside of your brain into a physical version. I ended up with, I think, six days before the first show um, <laughs> to memorize what essentially I built as a giant puppet. So I, hit, I have to hit a lot of things in a row or wave my hand in a certain way. Or, but it's a whole show is about 55 minutes. Um, so I did have a brief panic attack about how on earth I was going to stuff it all into my brain. But somehow it did stick. And um, yeah. <laughs> and I guess like like a lot like a a lot of other live events of of any kind, after you know two or three runs through it in front of the pressure of having the audience there, I guess it probably filters into your brain pretty quickly, even quicker than it would do in an intense rehearsal environment. Yeah, definitely. And then, you know, there's always there's always one or two moments that you're kind of sticky patches that you know you've got to really concentrate for. But um, then you said a sense of relief when you're on the home straight and. You can relax a little bit. Um, yeah, it's a really, really fun way to play live music. So, and that's kind of you know part of the reason I designed it. It's quite a bit selfish, I guess. Um, I think it's a lot more fun than playing with decks. Um, but I would say that because yeah, I'm not a good at DJ. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the 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 concept of the show and and it is very much in its infancy I guess you know it was only performed live in, in February for the first time so you probably have a, a very you know long distance to run with this um, but in your mind is there already part two and part three and sequels to this and or just simply an extension to the story that you've got at the moment? Yes we've already um, been asked um, is there a sequel uh, it's left on a little bit of a cliffhanger um, depending, the, the story itself is designed because in a way that you can engage on it in different levels. Because you know, I understand what it's like being in a live music event. You might go off and get a beer, or you might go off to the toilet. Um, you're not necessarily, you know, paying attention 100% of the time like you would in cinema. Um, so it's designed 
that if you really, really are paying attention, there's a lot of detail and there are a lot of Easter eggs you can pick up on. And, and if you're not paying attention so much and you're just there to dance, there's a lot of cool stuff going on that you'll still understand it, you know, it's simplistic enough that you'll still understand. Having said that, like I said, there is um, a bit of a cliffhanger at the end. I've left it open in case Annie, that's the name of the robot in the story, um, comes back for another round. And yes, we were having some conversations out in LA about what, what um, the sequel might look like. Um, so I have to get thinking about that. And what does the schedule look like from um, from here on in? Uh, we're approaching the, the, the festival season. H have you already talked to any uh, of the music festivals? And, and where are the live performances going to take place over the next uh, three to six months? Sure, yeah. I mean, given that we launched in February, we were a little bit late to get into this summer's festival season. Some of the smaller ones are maybe towards the end, you know, September. Um, but having, we've done 10 shows now, five in London, five in the States, um, and I'm back in London now kind of taking stock, kind of tweaking a few bits and pieces, um, road testing everything, so next time we go out, um, you know, it's even bigger and even better. Um, we are looking at a few, you know, private shows over the summer, and then eventually, um, towards the end, October time, what we'd really like to do is do a site-specific um, build, um, probably somewhere in London, um, mm -hmm. where we can do a fully immersive evening event. So it's not just the show, it's, you know, kind of setting up a whole environment that's based in this digital CGI world um, to really, you know, make it more immersive and more engaging. Because, yeah, I, I see this um, personally, this, this is going to be something that's of interest not just to people who love live music and, and, a, and a live um, artistic experience, but there are loads of people who watch this podcast and who listen to this podcast who are involved in the technology side of the events industry who I would urge to hop over and have a look at this and, and find out as much as you can about it because I think there are lots of elements within the Androids concept that actually translate into other live event environments, and that could be something as traditional as a as a business conference. You know, there are elements and stuff that you're doing with the show that um, I think a lot of people are, are using um, are using in other types of event as well. Um, and I, I I don't know, have you have you has anybody picked your brains already about certain elements of it to to try and sort of take inspiration for stuff that's totally different? Yeah, I mean, definitely the way I kind of. Wanted the, what I wanted from the show was to, to create something that was more inclusive than your average rave or your average dance music experience. Because there's a lot of people out there that enjoy live music and enjoy electronic music that, that you know don't necessarily want to go, you know, rave all night. Um, so it's much more uh, tailored towards you know sci-fi fans or gaming fans or you know just film fans as well as the traditional kind of live music. Um, so we're, yeah, we're talking, um, we, we have had a few conversations with people um, that's fired ideas off into, um, like I was saying, into immersive experience, but also short form VR, um, a few different uh, kind of spin-off ideas in terms of how um, the character has, itself um, might exist outside of, um, out, outside of the show. Mm -hmm. um, one of the really fun ideas we were talking to with one of the, um, the larger labels is creating a permanent virtual world where all of your favorite artists might exist together um, that you can go and visit um, at any time and you know making any one of those characters that you can go and interact with 
Um, so yeah, there's, I think there's a lot of different things you can do with it. Um, I'm always open to ideas. Um, I love to hear what people, what makes what it kind of makes people think of when they see it. For, for people who do want to find out more uh, about um, Android and about yourself, um, give us some of the website addresses, social media ha handles that, that, that people can use to find out more about you. Sure. Um, the website's www.androids.com, um, and that's got a little quick trailer that gives you a little, probably a better sense of what it looks like and what it's like, better than me rambling. Um, <laughs> And uh, we do update that for upcoming shows. Um, if more up to date is probably, you know, the Instagram and Twitter, both of which are Androids Live. And I have just been forced to make a Facebook, which I'm very, very bad at updating, but I'm going to get much better at that. Um, and that is also Androids Live. So any of those meetings, you'll get the, you'll get the updates. And, uh, and to clarify, for, the, for those of you listening to the audio version of the podcast, which is available via iTunes, that's A-N-D-R-O-D-E-S, Androids Live is the um, social media handles, I think, for Twitter, and androids.com is, uh, is the website address, so, so head over there. Um, you have been listening to the Event Industry News podcast, and today we've been joined by Helen Sartori, who, under the artistic name of Sartori, has created this amazing, um, give us the, the buzzword one more time so that you can get your copyright on it uh cinematronica the immersive electronic music experience of the dreams there we go head over and find out more about it it's been a fascinating discussion um and one of those discussions that really could have gone on for hours and hours but unfortunately we only have so much time with the podcast but helen thank you very much for joining us this evening thank you for having me um, this is the Event Industry News Podcast. The podcast, uh, as we said at the top of the show, is very kindly sponsored by N200 GES, our smart event solution partner. For more information on N200 and its smart event solutions, please head over and visit n200.com. If you've, uh, if you've been listening to this live stream or tuning into the live stream this evening, don't forget that you can download all of the podcasts as audio versions via iTunes and you can also go to eventindustrynews.com at any time to re-watch the video recordings of all of the podcasts. Also don't forget about the brand new eventindustrynews.com app uh, which will keep you notified of all the latest content going up onto the website and what's happening in the industry. Once again thanks very much to our, uh, our guest Helen Sartori this evening. My name is James Dixon, you've been watching the Event Industry News podcast and we'll see you next week. Good night. Mm -hmm.